Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park David, thanks for being here. I know you're in the fabulous Las Vegas. How's it going tonight? <laughs> I am great, fantastic. Uh, couldn't couldn't be happier. Love love living here and uh, love the long hot days of summer to uh, get to get my sweat on. For sure, and I don't blame you, man. And just uh, and what little I know about you, though, speaking of getting your sweat on, I know you're an athlete, a public speaker, entrepreneur, and also an author. And you have what your second book, Cycle of Loves, coming out, or if it's already out. Uh, it came out okay. uh, not too long ago and yeah, I've written other books, but they're more towards a targeted audience, like in financial services and some endurance athletic books and that type of stuff. But this is my kind of my second book for the general reader, as it were. Yeah. Well, I mean, I always hate asking this question and just because I feel like, you know, you get it, you've already had it tons of times already, but what was the, this so the audience knows, what was the motivation behind the book? Well, the motivation behind this latest book was uh, to try to shed light on, not not provide answers, Chris, but try to shed light on the issue of why is it so difficult for us to have hard conversations mm-hmm. around the emotional side of trauma? You know, what, what makes us like, oh, I don't want to say the wrong thing. You know, like, I don't want to, I don't want that person to feel uncomfortable. I don't want to. I don't want to you know, bring them down and make it about me or, you know, I mean, there's a million reasons why we just don't know what to say. Sure. And e- that happens even with the closest people that are closest to us. Um, you know, we can talk about like, how do you go see a doctor? How do you eat healthier? Like all the tasks around like this book uh, centers around like 15 people's experience with cancer. But as a doctor, you can wrap your brain around how do I treat patients? How do I find the best cure? How do I stay, you know, stay up to date on, you know, about everything as a, as a patient, as a loved one, a survivor, we can wrap our brains around the tasks. But when it comes to how do you feel about it all and how do you, you know, how are you processing the emotional side of it? I just noticed that there was a huge um, disconnect. People get really isolated and they get um, even, you know, they, they, they get abandoned, they self-isolate. Um, and I wanted to try to shed light on that topic. So that's what I set out to do with this book. Yeah, that's, a, you know, because my whole life, I mean, I know that there's been some scenarios where it was one of those things I can just, I had no clue what to say or, mm-hmm. you know, or even people around me. You know, I remember when I was little going to funerals or whatever, just ask my mom, like, what should I do? You know, how do I, yeah, yeah how do I handle these situations? And And what is that? Is that just part of just the genetics in a person or is it just the environment they grow up in? I mean... 
Yeah, I mean, from my experience, and I talked to like now probably thousand, you know, a couple of thousand people about this topic in depth, and and I think we're just wired to not feel comfortable mm. starting really hard conversations. Like it's really really tough for us to do because there's a million factors going on in the background, and. Um, you know, so much easier to like drop off a casserole and leave, or it's so much easier sure. to just like go, Hey, that person's probably having a hard time. There's probably not that I can do anyway. So I'll, I'll just check in in three weeks. And then you realize like three months went by and you didn't check in. Now oh. you go, man, I don't want to be an a-hole. So I'm just going to like not check in because, you know, it's been so long that I'm going to be. So, I, you know, there's a host of reasons, but the one universal truth is I guarantee you. There's every person listening, every person that could listen to this and every person they know, I guarantee you 100% certainty that there's somebody they know, if not multiple people they know, that's going through something really, really painful, really difficult, really traumatic that they know about, let alone that they don't know about, right. but that they know about. And I'll bet you anything that it's really hard to make a phone call so they haven't. That makes sense. Right? Yeah. I could think of three or four people right now that I yeah. go, man, I, I better, I better call him because I'm, no, I'm a hypocrite you. if I don't. I'm with you. Yeah. I was, as you said that, I was sitting there thinking, hmm, I got a few in my head too. Yeah. And the longer you go not calling them, the kind of like the harder it is to call them. And then it, it just adds to the isolation. It is. And it's not. Man, that's a good question. I mean, this way you put that, I never really thought about it. It just adds, it makes it harder the longer you don't do it. And it does. Yeah. And yeah. There's times, you know, it's one of those things I always say, like you're saying that I'm going to either call my pops or call whoever and just I never do it. I just and I don't know. I think of a million reasons not to do it rather than one just to do it, you know. And and, you know, I mean, look, that's that's not it's not a judgment. It's just a fact. And so what I what I wanted to try to do was to uh, shed light on really evocative, inspirational you know, mind provoking stories about 15 people. And and what I did is I kind of framed the emotional side of the cancer journey, whether they're a doctor or patient, whatever. Um, I tried to frame the emotional journey, like what allowed them to, or what didn't allow them to connect with people on a deeper, authentic level in relation to the traumas that they experienced in young adult and adolescence. So that if I could understand a little bit more of what Chris had gone through as a kid that was really traumatic, that he was still living with, that it was still affecting his inside voice, that later on in life, when you're going through something difficult, I might gain some insight into how better connect with you. I, and when, when you tell me, look, David, I appreciate the call, but I'm fine. I don't need you. All right. Like I'm, I'm good. Maybe I have a little more insight into maybe that's true, but maybe it's not true. And if it's not true, I can feel free to press you a little bit, Do you know, and say, do you not want to talk to me because you're good? Or do you not want to talk to me because you think I'm going to abandon you if you sure. if you lay this shit on me? Or do you think that um, I'm not going to care or I'm going to turn around and make it about me because I won't? You know, I just want I just I'm just asking because I care about you. Like, what the heck is going on? Yeah. Well, it's almost a defense mechanism, too, do you think? Just because if, you know, you call to check on me and I say, hey, everything's OK, I feel like I might be 
imposing or bothering you yeah. or taking, yeah. And it's just like, no, just don't worry about me. I'm good. You know, and even though, you know, I might be going through a hard time, but. Yeah. Cause I'll guarantee you that there's times also, and I'm sorry for all the guarantees, but, but, but I'll guarantee you that there's times when you are going through something difficult and maybe you had an interaction with a friend and that friend's like on cloud nine cause something great's happening and sure. you go, uh, I'm not going to bring them down. So I'll just, I, I won't bring this up. Right. There's a million reasons why. And I think, uh, at the end of the day, uh, if if we're fortunate enough to, at the end of our life, kind of look back on things, we really only have a couple of things that are universal, at least with everybody I spoke to. One thing that's universal is people are proud of and cherish the deep connections that they made with people around them. What kind of impact did I have in others' lives? What kind of impact did they have on me that they, they cherish the relationships they had? The yeah. second thing is they regret that they weren't able to form deeper relationships with people they wish they could have, or that those people would have been able to form deeper relationships with them. Oh, I wish, I wish I would have learned how to talk to my grandfather. I wish my my friend didn't block me out of their life in the time of need. I wish I would have been, we, you know, there's, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And so, so if that, if that is a universal truth, then how, how can we best, uh, understand what people are going through or what they have gone through so that we can feel more empowered to start those hard conversations. And, and, you know, that's, that's kind of what showing as much, I, I went deep, Chris, with these, with these people, like deep, deep, sure. a couple of years interviewed them. Every single one said at, at multiple times, all right, we can talk about that, but I never, ever talked about it with anybody ever before. And I said, okay, cool. And so they were willing to kind of open book their, their lives and their traumas and their difficulties in the hopes that you read the book. I read the book. We go, Oh, okay. Maybe I get a little bit more into the insight into the human condition. Maybe I can bring that with me and add a tool to my belt next time I come into a situation like that. So, so going back a little bit, you, you take 15 different people and follow them and interview them and through their cancer story. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So, um, I tried to find people who were different ages, different types of cancer, okay. not just a patient, but an oncologist, a medical professional, a, a, an executive in the medical in the medical world, um, uh, uh, loved ones, survivors. They had cancer maybe one time. One one person in the book only has a fear of cancer, or they lived with cancer, you know, five different times their adult life. I wanted people that the cancer was mild, the cancer was you know very severe or or terminal. Um, and, and also I, I want to create people that had a wide range of emotional responses to their cancer. And those went from everything from, you know, fear and desperation to acceptance and even gratitude. Cause if you can imagine, um, uh, having, having, uh, being told that you got terminal brain cancer and you receiving that news with gratitude. So I needed to have stories that had wide range and then they had to have evocative, traumas in their lives things that i can because i can't identify with what it's like to be an oncologist right and and the emotional journey of that but i can understand what it's like when that oncologist talked about the fact that when she was a child dad abandoned her never to be heard from again like that i could wrap my brain around so now maybe i get a little bit more insight into her life and maybe it teaches me how to talk to my doctor better yeah so it's just yeah. not only cancer but trauma in general yep yeah, okay. absolutely. I'm with you now. Okay. Yeah, we deal with suicide, abandonment, a drug addiction, um, uh, violence, uh, you know, uh, abusive relationships, all those things that limit us 
from being able to be our true selves, you know, bring that inside voice to that, to the connections, you yeah. know, that we have. So when you ask, when, when you ask me, Hey, David, I'm trying to form a connection with you because you're my friend and I care about you. I'm not, I'm not leaving a lot inside that I'm not giving you the truth answer. You know, if you really care about me and want to listen, I, I feel like I got to learn how to open up to you better, how, how to express myself better. Yeah. And I think that by examining these people's stories and this depth of a way as we do that it, it gives you oh some insight oh that's what it's like that's what people go through that's why people are wired the way they are and then you go okay maybe i can use that in my life yeah, yeah i would think that you know depending on if you, you know, i've been recently learning about micro traumas and actual regular traumas and that mm-hmm. by reading your book and what these people went through what you're talking about you know it would definitely help a person through all types of trauma actually heal from it so. Yeah. And, 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 and okay. I think, I, I think there's that there's a secondary goal of helping people heal, which, which probably is related to that um, le- less of a feeling of isolation. You know, when we're going through something tough. We go, man, nobody understands me. Nobody, nobody knows what the hell I'm going through. But if if you see, you know, the true authentic depth of what people are going through and you can, you can kind of like not compare, but you could feel like, Hey, I'm not in this thing alone it can, it can be a healing thing, um, you know, but, but really without giving people any prescription and without preaching to people at all, this, this just says like an insight into it. It's like when you watch a documentary about like how a building's built, like you, you look at the building and you go, man, I'm seeing it in a whole different way now. You're not going to be able to now go out and build a new building, but at least you could look at it and you go, oh man, like there's so much more that I had no idea about. Yeah. And that's what I'm hoping to do with the book. Yeah. That's and just touching on what you said. That's one thing that I've learned, you know, with having these conversational podcasts or whatever you want to call it, that, you know, a lot of people are going through a lot of things and some of them feel like they're alone in that and which they're really not. So a lot of people are kind of there with you or dealing with some type of problem, or if you want to say a micro trauma or a macro trauma, whatever you call it. But, and that's one thing as far as just reaching out and finding a group and finding others that, Oh, you know, I'm not the only one. You know, there's other people who've went down this road or a certain road, so to speak. And that's, you know, I don't know what the word am I looking for? Confiding in a sense. You know, it's almost have a camaraderie. It's just okay. You know, it's, you feel better that you're not alone in the path. Yeah, I mean, well said. I don't know what to what to add to that, but yeah, it, it just it does because it can be a very very isolating place. There's not a lot of common things between any of the stories, but one common thing is some amount of isolation. Yeah. Some amount of abandonment. Uh, every single person, like I said just a minute ago, every single person said at some point, well, all right, we can talk about that. But ah, I never really talked about this before with anyone. Yeah. So you know, I, like, I'll give you an example. You want me to okay, give go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the example is um, I'm going to talk about an oncologist. So okay. she'd been she'd been an oncologist for 40 years and I caught her at the right time. And what, you know, I, I, this is the one that I said her her, her father abandoned the family sure. when she was just a, a a little girl, never to be heard, and still never to be heard from again. Um, so w- when I sat down and talked to her the first time, I said, "Hey, hey, hey, Doc, you know, Marlene." I said, "If we can, you know, go places that we have never gone before, that would be helpful to the to the reader." And she goes, "Yeah, sure." And I go, "Well, things you haven't even like told your friends." She goes, yeah, that's no problem. I, I don't really talk about these issues with my friends because, you know, we just do what we do. And I'm like, all right, well, 
well, your peers, you, you know, things that you, you don't confide in other doctors about. She goes, I'm a woman doctor. You think I'm going to tell my peers about my emotional issues? Oh, wow. You know, no way. And sure. I said, well, things you haven't talked about with your husband necessarily. And she goes, yeah, there's plenty of things. I met them later in life. And, you know, we don't get into our work that much or the emotional side of it. And the thing that, so I said, great. I said, I said, well, I'm going to ask you things you never talked to anybody about before. And she said, yeah, let's see what we find out. And I had just caught her at the right time, Chris, when she was dealing with the following. Here's what she was dealing with. She was on a successful and very intelligent and respected oncologist for now 40 years. Right. And back when she was young and had her whole life ahead of her, she didn't have the perspective of understanding how much joy she can get out of the world. And when a patient came to her and she said, I think you need to do X. And the patient was like, well, thanks for your opinion, but I'm going to go do Y first. And then I'll come back to you. She was like, all right, whatever. And she went on to the next case. But now knowing what she knows about how she can treat people, prolong their life, perhaps even save their life. And in relation to the fact that now she has a deep understanding of what life can give to you if you live a deep, meaningful, long life. She's totally desperate to help people. And when somebody says to her, you know, look, I know I appreciate you, you, you know, that, that you think we caught this early, but I'm not going to go through your regimen. I'm going to go eat better. I'm going to go see a holistic you know, person. I'm going to do, yeah. I'm going to do this or that. The doctor says, now she goes fine, but don't come back because it's too hard for me. Do not come back. If you're not going to take my advice, don't come back because I can't stand to walk out of this room where you're telling me you know more than me and I know you potentially are going to miss out on life. Next door, I got to walk into a room where a lady's got two babies bouncing on her legs. She's certain to die from her cancer. There's nothing I can do to help her. I can help you and you're not letting me. So don't come back. And that emotional um, uh, the gravity of that emotional trauma on her that she so desperately wants to help people. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. we, got, we got really, really deep about a topic that she's never talked to anyone about. And and it, it makes me think, and I remember I, I was telling that story to someone and, uh, and, and and then I followed up with them a couple of days later on another issue. And, and she said to me, he goes, you know what? I went to my doctor. I had a doctor's appointment the other day. She goes, and, and the doc walked in and said, okay, so how are we doing? And she goes, no, no, no hang on a second. How are you doing? Like, like are you having an okay day? And, sure. and stopped the doctor in her tracks. And the doctor was like, oh, I don't even know how to answer that question. Right? And it's like, ah, oh, cool. Because we don't know what people are going through. Even our doctors, even our caregivers. Yeah, that's a great point. Just that you never know what anybody's going through. And just that, you know, it's one of those things that when you're, Walking down the hallway, just like you said, when you ask somebody how they're doing, you automatically are supposed to say, oh, fine, great, whatever. But if somebody actually stopped and actually started pouring their problems out on you, nobody would know. What, I wouldn't know what to do. Yeah. And it's it's I, I don't know. It's just like a tradition or it's a rule of thumb that you're just yeah, great. Good. Moving on. And you just move on about your day. Never think about it. But, yeah. you know, and it's one of those things that. You know, you shouldn't, I don't know if you should just pour your heart out to an open stranger and actually just talk, you know, but you know, you find somebody you can confide in a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot better to get it out is what I've been learning too. Cause I was one of those people who would, you know, had a problem in my life or, you know, went through some type of, I don't know, whatever, just, I would just stuff it down inside and just not worry about it and go on. Cause I don't know if that's just what I was taught to do or what, but I just noticed that, you know, growing up and actually being okay to let a couple things out and, you know, sharing and venting that I felt a lot better that, you know, mm -hmm. 
yeah, just like I could actually talk to somebody and I didn't have to, you know, worry about, you know, keeping it inside anymore. And like, what is the stress alone of what it was doing and eating me alive inside, you know? And it's, yeah. And, 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 and if you're lucky enough to have people in your life that you could get deeper with, have a deeper and more authentic connection, especially in times of trouble, either for you or them, that's great. But sometimes those short little interactions with a stranger sometimes can make the world a difference. Really? And, you know, I remember, I, so part, part of the, part of the uh, book, I did a 5,000 mile bike ride where I, where I visited each one of the book participants for the first time. I knew a couple of them, but most of them I didn't know. And I, and I zigzagged my way across the country on a, on a bike to go meet them for the first time. And I met a ton of people every day along the way, because I was visiting hospitals and talking to strangers or whatever. And some of the couple of minute interactions that I have with people will never leave me. They're the, some of the deepest, most sure. meaningful connections I've ever had. And so, you know, it's, it was a matter of us both being present, listening, being silent, being, you know, caring and connecting in a really deep, authentic way. And, and, and those are very healing therapeutic discussions that I look back on with some of the fondest memories ever, you know, some of the, the briefest encounters have been some of the things that have, that have really touched me the deepest. Yeah. Now, and I hope I don't forget this thought, but I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about that 5,000 mile bike ride, but mm -hmm. yeah, no, I agree with though, that it seems that, you know, as far as a human species or civilization, whichever you wanted to say or call it, that we do want that human connection. That's one thing we've always strive for throughout history is just being in that type of tribe and having somebody, you know, we can connect with. And, you know, there's people mm -hmm. out there who say, Oh, I just want to be alone and live in a log cabin. And, and yeah, maybe that's true to a certain point there. I feel like there are outliers to everything, but I think mm -hmm. for the most part, people do need some type of connection. And, and I think some of us actually started to learn that, you know, during, uh, during the pandemic or COVID or whatever yeah. you say, just, you know, being locked up by yourself, not being able to get out. And, and luckily for technology and stuff, we were like, you know, you and I are able to have this conversation yep. today. Yeah, yeah. But people felt the need like, Oh, wait, the world came to a halt. You know, I can't go out and see my friends anymore. And I want to have a connection of some sort. And, yeah. and, and as you've been talking that and I might be ranting a little bit now, but I was thinking about people, you know, from childhood to teenagers to adult life who've, I can pick out a few key people who've made some type of impact on my life and they're imprint, imprinted on my brain. And whether it's a good memory mm -hmm. or bad memory, but most of them are pretty good, you know, like a teacher or a doctor that you saw, like you're saying, yep. a friend that, you know, you haven't touched base with, but you remember, you know, some good times with them growing up and it's mm -hmm. all it's all good stuff. And it's all about that human connection, what you're talking about, but yeah. Yeah. And also a connection to yourself. Cause that's one of the things that came out of the pandemic, right? People, people living with themselves and connecting with themselves a little bit better. Like, how do I be a better friend? What things are important to me? Am I living my life on purpose? Am I making good choices? Is this what I really want to be doing? Is these, are these the people who I want to really know? And then uh, how many times did you, how many people did you reconnect with during that time? And how many people kind of went a little bit by the wayside, mm -hmm. you know, because we learned a deeper, a, a truer sense of ourselves. And I think it allows people to be more authentic and, and bring them. So I know now, I think I pay a little bit more attention to the fact when somebody asks me a question along the lines of how are you or what's going on or whatever, I kind of know, or I think I know a little bit better when they're really present and really are are authentically and with care yeah. making the, the the question and i certainly don't walk by somebody and say hey how's it going and keep walking 
Because if I don't, if I'm not going to stick around and get, have them give me the answer, I'm not asking the question, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a that's a good point. But you get just reading somebody's body language. I mean, day to day is just one thing that I've learned that you know the way they're holding themselves. Are they walking with their shoulders back? Are they just walking? Mm-hmm. Something you can easily tell like what somebody's going through. And and you know, even if you just said, "Hey, how you doing?" That usually, you know, some people like that. Just just yeah. to know that somebody did ask. And even if you didn't have a conversation, and you know, it seems like that life is full of momentum, and it's always no, I was too busy to stop and talk. But if you could at least, you know, like you said, stop and talk for a few minutes and just say, what's up, what's going on? How you feeling? You know, it's hard to do. It's hard. It's, it's kind of sometimes easier to do with a stranger, but, but it's hard to do, especially when it's around something difficult, mm-hmm. you know, sure. you lost a You lost a family member, you know, your pet died. Um, uh, you know, you, you lost your job that you were just bragging about two weeks ago. I mean, there's a lot of different kinds of traumas we go through. Right. And, you know, if you have, if you happen to be around someone who's going through something or you're going through something and somebody else happens to be there for you, you know, how, how can we feel a little bit better about engaging in that hard conversation? You know, and, and just kind of switching gears a little bit that yeah. I just didn't want to uh, lose this thought, but I wanted to ask you about that 5,000 mile bike ride. That you, yeah. about. you know, what was that like and what were you thinking? And you know, what, why did you decide to, I know you're an endurance athlete, but yeah. So what was, did you, was that just something, Hey, I'm going to go just ride my bike and visit all these people. And from, we went to California to Florida, then New York. And yeah, it wow. kind of started out a little bit as a gimmick, right? Because, um, yeah, I, I, I went from like overweight smoker in my really thirties. Yeah. In my late thirties, I was an overweight smoker, never did anything athletic, totally stressed out in my life, you know, like not living anything, what, an athletic on purpose, healthy kind of person does. And I, and I just, I kind of dove headfirst into endurance athletics. And since then I've done, you know, like dozen and a half Ironmans and I've done 50 mile runs and hundred mile runs and you name it, just all this crazy stuff. That's uh, a hour for a overweight smoker to dive into endurance athletes. Uh, I know. Right. Yeah. right? Yeah. I, I didn't uh, go from a point A to B like that. There was, okay. a, there was a stretch. Okay. I was going to say, man, that was, like, that's really badass of you if you did it like that. But yeah. Well, I, what I did was I, I put down the cigarettes. Then the next day I went for a two minute run, couldn't make it. Right. And then about a week later, did a mile. And then I said, well, shoot, if I could do a mile, maybe I could do three, do a 5K. And, and it was a way to uh, continue to not smoke. That's and why also, I do it. You know, and then three or four months later, I did my first triathlon. Then I did a half Ironman. And by by my eighth or ninth month into it, I did my first Ironman. And then I said, all right, well, let's just see, man. Let's keep, keep going, see what you can do. So here I am 20 years later, and I've done, you know, I don't even know, a couple hundred events. Yeah, like that. yeah it's pretty cool. So uh, for the bike ride, you know, I thought I thought that humans are really connected only by I think really I mean we're all connected, but I, I break it down to two things we're connected by. Okay. One is story. Sure. I agree. I never met a person yet that if they had a minute to listen and you said, dude, I got this story, you gotta hear. We're we all lean in. We all want to hear a good story. So we're connected by story. And two is we all have the same basic human emotions. We might have different emotional responses. But we have the same basic human emotions, you know, fear, happiness, joy, those kind of things. So if we're connected by story and I want to talk about the emotional journeys of trauma through storytelling, I need to connect people. So I said, how do we connect the people? Oh, like I'll just 
ride my bike and you know like one of those old tiny movies where the red line follows the, the plane where it goes or whatever yeah. I, I could go oh, well i'm gonna connect the stories so I, it was just another way to add another facet of co connectivity and then i said well can you do this like can you bike that far and i and i zigzagged uh, it on a map and i was like yeah i guess i could and then i said okay uh, how far how long can you do it in and and I ended up doing it in only six weeks because that's as much time as I could I could give to it. And uh, it was tough, man. I was doing 12, 14, 16 hours a day to get from point to point. And it was day after day after day. It was, it was absolutely brutal physically, but it was fantastic emotionally. So all your life, up until you said you were in your 30s, where you just didn't care about being in shape or athletics or did you have a turning point in your life in your thirties where you just said, Hey, I got to do something. Yeah. I didn't care much about myself. Oh yeah. That's, that's what I would say. I, I didn't care much about myself. So I, I was way too worried about surviving and way too worried about um, what you might think of me or what the boss might think of me or that. what other people might think of me. And I never, like I saw the guy in the mirror, but I never really saw the guy in the mirror. Yeah. And one, one day I just had a number of things happen to me in, in a very short period of time. One is I, I kind of realized, oh, crap, I, I'm in a, a marriage with an abusive alcoholic. This is not a place where I could be. And I got two young kids, like a four year old twins. And I go, dude, you I mean, what the hell are you doing here? Yeah. So I had that realization hit me. Then I had another realization hit me. My sister called me up and said, hey, I got terminal brain cancer. And, you know, we got to talk about how how, you know this is going to lead to, to my death. And, and she had a young family and everything it was real tragic. And then at the same time, in that same time period, I, I kept going to this one friend and complaining to him over and over and over about all the bad things in my life. And he finally stopped and he goes, dude, stop. Like literally you're the problem. And I go, what? And he goes, yeah. He goes, what the hell, man? All you do is ever complain about the problems you're in. You got yourself in all those problems. He goes, you, 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 every time you see a rabid dog, you go pet it. And then it bites you and you get, you get all, you know, butthurt that it bit you. And he goes, stop petting rabbit dogs, dude. Fix your own. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. problems yeah and i'm like oh hell that makes sense you know and i went oh so so i just i it, it's it's not that i never paid attention to that stuff it i never was even remotely aware that i should care about myself first and, yeah. and i don't mean being a narcissist or being self-centered i'm talking about like you know that old adage you know put your own mask on first and then sure. put on your kid i i get that now it you know it's i'm probably a slow learner but, you know, how, how are you going to 
be your best self if you're not being your best self for you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree hundred percent with that. I mean, you know, I've always heard the same thing. You kind of always got to make yourself happy before you can make everybody else happy. And, and it's one of those things that, you know, if you're sick and it's in a sense, and if you don't really understand, you know, what the problem is, but it's just so easy to play the victim on everything. And especially in today's times, you know, and it's always mm-hmm. a million reasons to blame other people rather than take, you know, ownership in yourself. You know, J- Jocko Willink talks about this and that, yep. you know, there's extreme ownership and there's problems. Hey man, look in the mirror and, you know, see what you're doing first rather than blaming the first person you see, like you just said. And, and that's one thing that I, you know, I finally decided to, when I, after reading that book, you know, it's just, you know, Hey man, if you, if you fuck up in life, just own it, you know, it just, it yeah. happens, you know, every, we're human. And, and, or if you want to do something, own it. Yeah. Like, I, I, right. I mean, I mean, plenty of times we all messed up and you go, okay, whatever, but, but don't be a victim and don't, 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 don't get a chip on your shoulder and be, don't be cynical or whatever. Sure. I get that. Sure. But I think more often than not, that we just don't push ourselves to the level we should because we're self-conscious because we're worried about what other people think. Exactly. And frankly, nobody gives a crap. I mean, honestly, nobody gives a crap and that's a good thing. So let, let me tell you a quick story. I was Go the ahead. very first half Ironman that I did. Okay. It was, uh, it was in July. I quit smoking in the beginning of February. So what what's that? Like five months after quit smoking, I was still overweight. You know, I was definitely not an athlete, nothing like that. So I, I drive up to Northern California. I'm in Southern California at the time. I drive up to Northern California and, and I wake up the next day to go do the race, but I got all this nervous energy. And, and it's one of those wave starts where, where they set off like 200 people at a time, like 10 different times, right? It's a, so I walk up to the start line, you know, like all nervous. And everyone I see, Chris, is like freaking Greek gods. Like they're like, chiseled out of stone and they're walking around like they own the world and and i'm like they all got this expensive gear and they look and i'm like the hell am i even doing here like like everybody's gonna look at me like a fraud i certainly don't i'm not an athlete like any of these people what the hell i I, what am i even doing here like literally get in your car and go home dude because you're a total loser you don't belong here and and that that's an analogy for a million times in my life or a million times that I could see that 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 could have happened. But it's a real life thing. So I almost get ready to turn around and go home because I'm a big fraud. Everybody's looking at me like an idiot. Right. And then the gun goes off. And one dude, Chris, flips on his back and he starts duck paddling. And the next guy is doing circles. I mean, there's some real athletes that take off and swim. Of but one guy it starts walking in the river because he doesn't know how to swim. And I'm like, seriously, man? Like these guys, they, they don't care what anybody thinks. They're just out there doing what they do. Awesome. And I go, well, maybe I shouldn't worry like what anybody thinks. What do you think, dude? Like, go out there and try your best and just go do the thing and don't worry about anybody else because they don't care anyway. Nobody's watching. Exactly, man. I'm like, oh, that's so empowering. Oh, it is. You know, and I agree that, you know, I'm one of these CrossFit guys. And, you know, when I still, I, it's like, I call it imposter syndrome. I guess most people yeah. do. Even in my, yeah. I've been doing it eight plus years now. And even when I do my competitions now, even, Right when the first workout's ready to begin, it's still coming over me like, man, why, why are you doing this? Why are you here? You right. know. But then once I finally, you know, I, I got this from Mike Tyson that once you finally, you know, we have a 10 second clock that goes off and, and, uh, you know, you need to start your workout or whatever it is. But once that clock hits, like I try to flip my switch now and like Mike Tyson used to say, once he got to the ring, like he would start calling himself a God and that everything's going to yeah. be, he kind of talked about it too on a podcast. It was like, wow, Mike Tyson was, you know, worried about walking into that ring. You know, he's one of the baddest dudes on the planet. And, yeah. But now yeah. what he does, he just gets in and gets this whole new mentality. And, and I guess my point is that 
And the reason I was bringing up the bike and stuff that, uh, you know, I signed up for my first half marathon here and it's coming up in September. And it was just something that I was knew it would challenge me. And even when I first signed up for it, that I'm getting these thoughts right now, it's like, oh, man, what are you doing, dude? You know, right. yeah, I'm five foot seven, you know, right. I don't have a runner's body at all. I'm yep. you know, 170 pounds. And it's like, what are you doing? But, you know, I firmly believe about challenging yourself and doing hard things. And that makes you get you out of your comfort zone and you grow a little bit by learning about it. But, you know, and I've been going through a program right now, getting my miles in each week and it's, and I'm enjoying it and I'm loving it. And it's one of those things that somebody said the same thing that you just said, like, dude, just go out there and do your best. You know, don't worry about, you know, if you're going to be number one or right. whatever, just go out there and have a good time and enjoy yourself. It's your first run. Just do it. It's okay. And I guarantee, I guarantee you, if you told one of your, like five of your closest friends, what you're going to do, I guarantee not one of them would say, Oh, were you the shortest guy there? Were you the tallest guy there? That's exactly uh, what happened when we no, told a group of friends. Nobody will ask yeah, right. maybe those those friends. Yeah. But, but but nobody's gonna ask, like, what was your finishing time? Nobody's right. gonna say, like, oh, did you have any problems, you know, with eating? Nobody's gonna say, you know, anything. They're gonna be like, dude, you did that thing? That's right. awesome. Yeah. Right. And so so it's it's funny how we think people care and that they're paying attention. They're not. They're just living their lives. Yeah. And so we might as well live ours. And so that that kind of inspired me to delve really deep into endurance athletics because I said, oh, well, if 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 you need to find out what you're capable of and nobody and nobody else is watching, nobody else cares. Well, let's just go find it. Go figure it out. Why, why not? Why not go do three Ironmans this year? Why not? Right? Yeah. Why not? I'm never going to win them. I'm not, I'm not winning. I'm not looking right. Nobody's watching me. uh, Nobody's counting on me to win. So that's fine. Uh, Let's just see what I can do. Can I bike across the country? I could do it. Sure. Why not? You're doing it for you. You're doing it for your health and something you enjoy doing. I'm assuming. So why not? I mean, you know, it's one of the reasons why I started this podcast. It was something I felt like I needed to do. And, you know, I just, I did it for me, you know, and it was, again, it was one of those challenges for me, you know, like we were talking about hard conversations and, and I've never felt like I was a great conversation. So that was something that even during a pandemic, I learned that, man, I got I want to do something. I want to put myself out mm-hmm. there. I want to try, I want to learn, I want to grow a little bit. And, you know, now I get to, some magic has happened and now I get to, you know, talk with badass people like yourself. And, right. and well, it's really cool. And you, and you are a good interview, by the way, but, but look, it doesn't matter if you end up being the number one podcast globally exactly. in the world. I'll tell you what for sure is you have way more listeners than the person that thought about doing a podcast and never, never, exactly. never took the leap. So exactly. you got way more listeners than them. Exactly. That's a good point. You know? Yeah. And even, even, even that's, and that even just putting that into a, you know, perspective, like a triathlon thing. I mean, you know, at least, you know, you're doing something and that, you know, you're getting more miles or whatever into no per- person just sitting on their couch watching Netflix the whole time. So, yeah. 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 And it's one of these things you feel like you should go do three triathlons or however many you did in a year. Why not? I mean, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, prepare somewhat for it, study this, but go in there and have a good time and learn about it and learn about yourself. And then, and you will enjoy the journey it takes you on, I hope. So yeah. it's like, that's what yeah. it's done for you, you know? And then when you did this 5,000 mile bike, were you by yourself the whole time? I was by myself about a third of the time, okay. like self-supporting, you know, carrying all my gear and being 100% on my own from, from, Ooh. you know, 24 seven. But the other two thirds, I had my now wife, Erin, uh, she was my fiance at the time. Um, she was, she was there. She flew back and forth from LA a couple of times to hang with me for a couple of weeks at a time. I had a friends that were there, but it was mostly her. Um, but I did the bike solo. I think out of, I did 4,700 miles. And I would say I had people, 
people with me biking, maybe 300 of those miles. Sure. So I, I, I did them mostly by myself, but I did have support because, um, boy, car- carrying all my gear and, and all the logistics of everything, it, awesome. I couldn't, there's no possible way. I tried to go out and do it alone, but when I got closer to the start date, I said, geez, you know, there's no way I can do this alone. So I'm going to need some help. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you know, what is it? You know, you can go far by yourself, but if you want to go farther, get a team of people or yeah. whatever that saying is. So, yeah. I mean, when you when you were biking, I mean, did you have music? Was there something you were thinking <laughs> about? I mean, were you thinking about well, people or? Well, or I definitely, I got some PTSD because I, I had to get from point A to point B each day. Sure. And the fastest way when you're biking from point A to point B is on the highway. So I was on highways most of that 4,700 miles, wow. which if you've ever been on this, this, the highway while, while trucks, you know, 16 ton trucks are going friggin', you know, 75 miles an hour, three feet from you, it's very traumatic. So I, I spent 12, 14, even 16, 17 hours a day on a highway with just, just countless close calls and freaking people honking and hearing you know, people hit the drunk bumps, wondering if they're going to continue to hit you. So I did wear headphones, uh, which drowned out a good part of the noise. Sure. And I listened to podcasts. I I I, I listened to music. Uh, I I certainly thought about the stories because I had interviewed everybody up until that time, and so I knew them really well. But I hadn't wrote the stories yet, and I That's really true. needed them to marinate. Um, and and one of the joys, and I don't think you've. I don't want to assume this, but I don't think the same thing happens with CrossFit because it's so explosive. But one of the joys of of endurance athletics is it's not explosive. It's very, right. it's very kind of like slow right. moving. Even if it's steady, it's 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 not explosive in nature. Right. I don't have to focus on it. I can just do it in the background, and it's very contemplative space, very meditative space. So I solve a lot of problems. I I discover a lot of things. I can be more observant. As I'm steadily, you know, steadily biking and running in the in the background. Yeah, no, that's a great point because that's what I've been learning. You know, as far as you know, CrossFit. You know, you're like you said, you're very explosive. You're, you know, you only either have like 13 minutes, some sometimes 20, sometimes 30 minutes. Right. But still, in that time, you're usually concentrating on your heart rate. You know, your form. You're just, yep. what, you know, what are you doing next? How are you going to break up the reps or something like that? But with running, you know, like the farthest I'd run in CrossFit was. It's a 5k three miles. Yeah. So, you know, that's, mm-hmm. I could give you that all day, but now, you know, with my programming, I'm up to six miles and I'll be up to seven this weekend. And, yep. it's, like, and it's exactly what you said. That was a great way to put it. It's meditating or meditating yep. that, you know, I've done the same thing. I bounce between music and podcasts, but I just noticed that, you know, I'm with myself and I'm just can, go at my pace and I can just, you know, think about, I think a lot of things out through like what they're saying in a podcast or whatever, or even when the music thinking about, what I got going on today. It's a, it's a yeah. whole different level, man. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. Let me tell you a quick story. Go ahead. One of the very first 50 mile runs that I ever did was in Vegas. It was the last weekend of June. They call it running from the devil. They don't do it anymore because it's too freaking dangerous, but because <laughs> it's hot here. Like sure. I think it was, I think it was 121 that, that, that day. Ooh. So I, 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 I get to the start line 15 minutes late. Cause I, cause I didn't wake up on time and I'm there alone. I get, drive there. I get there. And I, so I'm running to the to start line and everybody's already taken off. And then the first quarter mile is really steep uh, to, 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 to get from the parking lot to the main road. 
and 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 I turned the corner and 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 they had a little temperature gauge. It was 91 degrees already at 6:15 in the morning. And I started cursing myself. I'm like, seriously, dude. I mean, uphill when it first starts at 91 degrees, you gotta catch it. And I started <laughs> like complaining. And then I said, dude, why don't you like check yourself? Like nobody's paying you, nobody signs you up for this race. You did it on your own. You need to change your perspective. And I said, perspective. Oh. Huh. And I contemplated the word perspective, Chris. And I thought, well, is, like change your perspective, like in a movie, when they shoot a movie, from which angle, change yeah. your perspective, like as a writer, like first person, third person. And how, how do you gain perspective? What is perspective? How, and I literally pondered every facet of the word perspective until I hit the turnaround at mile 25. And I'm like, holy crap, dude, you've been thinking about the word perspective for 25 miles sure like nearly five hours of running because you got to run slower in the heat nearly five hours of running and i'm like oh that's kind of cool right awesome so so yeah it can be a deeply meditative space doing endurance athletics and and i decided i have a couple friends who do you know more endurance athletics than i do right but you know is that part of the runner's high or have you ever experienced a runner's high only one time did i ever experience runner's high what was that like? It was stupid, dude. It was completely stupid. I was doing a another a 50-mile run on a place called Catalina Island, which is a, this really rugged island off the coast of California. Okay. Uh, it used to be owned by the Wrigley family. And uh, like 99% of the ar- uh, island is a conservatory. They used to shoot movies there. It's a real famous place. But um, uh, uh, I'm doing this, this run, and it's, it's one of my first long-distance runs. And, and you could see California, you know, the mainland is, it's only about 20 odd miles away and I could see it and I'm listening to my music and, and I'm feeling so freaking good. And I'm running down this hill and, and what's that, uh, ice cube song. You better chickadee check yourself before you wreck yourself. Yeah, before you wreck yourself. And, and, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm singing this song going chickadee check yourself. Before you wreck yourself. And I'm, I'm listening to this and I'm literally running and I look down at my watch and and I go, all right, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm moving. I'm moving. If this, and I'm looking at the mainland, Chris. And I go, if I was on the mainland, I literally could run from California to New York because I feel so good. And then it hit me that my watch said I was running like seven thirty miles. I am not an athlete, dude. I cannot run seven thirty miles, and certainly not a few miles into a fifty mile run. I was needing to chickadee check myself before I wrecked myself. And I started laughing, and I'm like. Dude, there's no way that you just did that. That was total runner's high, man. What the hell were you thinking? You could run from here to New York. That's the stupidest thing. Ever. No, uh, I love it, dude. That's awesome. Yeah, um, I've had a couple of friends <laughs> tell me I'd be getting the runner's high in no time, and just I've been trying to. I don't know if I'm too conscientious of it right now because I keep looking forward to waiting for it to happen, but I haven't had anything like that to happen yet. Yeah, I don't really think it is. I I think a runner's high is like an endorphin based thing. Like you're feeling like this. Like all of a sudden things are clicking for you, whatever. I'm not sure if that's what it is. I, I probably have run 25,000 miles of, wow. you know, or something like that. I, I think I've had it one time. Okay. Okay. It makes sense to me. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't know if it's, you know, I don't know if it's just too much of too much media that I've looked at, but it's just like, you know, do you get it every time you run or is it just, you know, is it just happens naturally? But, you know, one time if 25,000 miles, I mean. But I will tell you, it's probably not unlike 
uh, training for your CrossFit competitions, it's a rare, rare time that you leave a, I mean, very rare time that you leave a workout going, I kind of hate myself. I wish I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a very rare time that you would do that. Exactly. Most of the time, even if you really didn't want to go do it, when you're done, you're like, oh, hell yeah. That was my point. That was getting ready yeah. to say. That's usually what yeah. it is for me. You know, I get off work. It's like, damn, I don't want to go down there today. Yeah. I know if I go down there and get through it, I'm just, I'll feel so much better, you know? Right. And so even if, to the extent that there's a runner's high, for me, the runner's high is I know no matter how much I sometimes don't want to go running, I, I never come home from a run saying that was a waste of time. Yeah, no, that's a good point because, you know, like I said, I, you know, ran five or three miles before uh, getting onto this program or whatever. But the first time, you know, I had to run four miles, I was like, shit, man, I don't want to go do this. You know, <laughs> right. like this is like, I, you know, what what's this going to be like? You know, it's going to hurt, you know, and right now I've been keeping, you know, I guess a nine minute pace per mile. But somebody just, you know, again, they put it like this, like you just run for nine more minutes. It's just one more mile. And then you, you, yeah, you yeah, almost exactly. anything for nine minutes. Exactly, so. man. And ever since that mentality has gotten my head, just, yeah. Okay, yeah, just one more, you know, it's what's one more. Right. And yeah. now it's making more sense to me. It's the same. I'm just going for a run. Like, you know, just don't worry about being competitive. Just go for a run and just chill. Yeah. You know? And eventually you're going to get to the point if you have the time and the desire to do this, like when I'm doing a 50 mile run or an Ironman or something, I'll be like, okay. I, okay, you only got 10 miles to go. You could run 10 miles in your sleep. Yeah. And I'm like, who are you even that you just said that? Right. Because <laughs> you're not the guy that can run 10 miles in his sleep. You know, you're this big, fat, overweight smoker. And I'm like, oh, maybe I'm not that guy anymore. But, you know, it's it's funny the way our mind plays tricks on us. Yeah. It's, it's, it's our mind is like due to, uh, it's survival mode. You know, it goes into like, hey, you probably shouldn't do this because you're probably not going to. Right. Right. Yeah, you know, probably live or whatever. It's going to be hard or whatever. But that's when you got to dig down in there and conquer your inner whatever you want to call it. And it's like in demons, it's like, no, we're going to do this. And, and I did that almost every day on that 5,000 mile bike ride because I would get in at anywhere between eight or nine at night and maybe midnight, 1 a.m. Yeah. I have to find dinner, get checked in, shower, stomp on my clothes to clean them, let them hang them up so they would dry the next day. And then get to sleep so I can get on the road by seven in the morning. Sure. Right. And sometimes, man, I did I did not want to get up. Right. But then I said, you you have to. Like, you have to get from point A to point B today. Otherwise, you're screwed. So figure out a way to do it. You just you just do it. You know. If you were ever to go back in time and like your younger self and thought to yourself, you know, hey, in 20, 30, 40 years from now, you know, you know you're gonna be running triathlons and Ironman and writing books. Would you ever be able to believe that yourself? If somebody would have told you that? Back no, no way. No way possible. possible. No way. Yeah, no, no, no way. Because I, I didn't, I mean, self-perception is a big deal, right? How we perceive ourselves right. um, is a big deal. And and I always perceived myself as somebody who was very empathetic, good listener, very observant, you know, very sensitive. But um, I, I didn't, I didn't even have an awareness of who I was or what I wanted to get out of this world. I just didn't. And, and, and once I developed that sense of why don't you learn who you are and what you are capable of and what you want to do, why don't you lean into that person and learn about it? I was just like, man, if I could have learned that when I was younger, Oh my God, that would have been so smart. It would have been so great. You know, is, uh, 
Here's a good question, or it's a good question in my head. Is is this what gives you hope or what you hope the world gets gives hope, you know, from having these deep interactions with those 15 people in your book and learning, you know, even for your own self, you could change, you know, yourself. If you don't like the way your world's going or your, your life journey, you know, you can just make a decision one day and just say, hey, I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to lose some pounds. You know, is that what, you know, you have yeah people hope for the world i I think so and there's there's not uh any of these stories some of them are tragic some of them are very emotional but 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 the stories are every single one of them is super inspirational and can be a great uh learning exercise like for example i I led the book with bobby's story and bobby's story real quick is this guy who was not unlike a lot of people i know might have i might have even had some qualities of bobby not very likable kind of angry at the world, little chip on his shoulder, made a lot of bad decisions, but ended up blaming other people for him, you know, bad relationships and bad career turns, you know, everything happens to him because, you know, he's the bad, you know, he, he's the receiver of bad luck or whatever he, then, you know, and then all of a sudden he meets this person who gets to put a new, as he says, gets to put a new pair of glasses on him. So he sees the world a whole different way. And he realizes, holy cow, man, like I've been the problem my whole life. This is a woman that is showing me how I could learn how to be my best self and I could learn how to love myself and love somebody else. And it was this beautiful story, right? Shortly after they met, she got cancer. They beat it. They got married. Shortly before they got married, the cancer came back. And shortly after they were married, it took it took her. And it was really, really, really tragic. But during that time, Chris, they got this opportunity to go super deep into every possible corner of the emotional map that two people could go through. And one of the things that she said was, look, this sucks that I'm not going to be able to, to be around to see it, but you are now your best self and you need to learn how to love and be loved with somebody else. Cause I'm not going to be the one here. And you certainly can't waste all of my hard work. So he promised to go to therapy after And then he, he decided that I'm going to live up to the promise that I made to her. And he's now happily married, been married for like 12 years to, to, to the person he fell in love with. And he's very grateful for what he went through with Brandy and they do an event every year in her honor. And it's really this beautiful story. But I asked him one time, Chris, to your point, I asked him, I go, dude, like, like what, what the hell, how are you able to do that? And he goes, look, David, he goes, if Brandy didn't get cancer and die. He, he didn't have kids, right? But right. If, if Brandy didn't die, her and I would still be married. We'd have a big family with a lot of kids and I'd be living my best life ever. I couldn't even imagine having a better life if she had lived. That didn't happen. He goes, who I'm married to now, I wouldn't trade it for, for anything in the world. I'm as happy as, as a person could be. I'm as deeply in love as a person could be. I feel like I'm the luckiest guy in the world. Of course, things would have been different, but they didn't work out that way. They worked out this way and I wouldn't change it for a second. And I'm like, oh, damn, if you can't learn from that, dude, you cannot learn, right? And so each one of the stories has some kind of an element of what can we learn from what others have gone through or what they're going through. And and it's uh, it's very reassuring that we can become our best selves for sure. Yeah. But, you know, that's very reassuring to me, especially, in, you know, when some people will tell you that, you know, the world's such a toxic, toxic place and that, you know, um, 
you know, when it's one of the worst times to be alive. But, you know, I think it's just a matter of what your outlook on life is and what your experience has been. I mean, kind of what we were talking about earlier, you know, there's people out there who only want to look at all negative things in life. And that's just what their brain goes to automatically, whether, you know, talking to them in the morning, night or evening or whatever you want to say, but just it's always negative. It's just a toxic person. And then if you just like, hey, you know, the world can be anything you want it to be. And that's one of my personal beliefs that, and even for you, you know, if you don't, you know, you take what the cards you've been dealt with and you, you know, make the best out of it, just like, you know, Bobby, you know, and learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you want to, like I, like I said to you before, I'm not preachy or prescriptive, but if I could be preachy for one second, I I didn't learn that till, till, till actually till I was on the bike ride. So I'm I'm in my fifties and I didn't learn the depth of that because I carried around some things as a burden. Yeah. And some things as, as cynical, you know, I have, I have a, I have a mom that didn't want kids and ha- haven't talked to her in decades. Um, she hadn't talked to me actually in decades. Um, you know, I have other things that are, that are problems in my life that will never get solved. Like I'll never sure. be able to wrap my brain around the bad people that have done bad things that are just bad people. And you, you just got to accept the fact that sometimes life ain't perfect. Yeah. Right? But I didn't learn the depth of that until I was on the bike ride. And I'm trying to I'm trying to reconcile some of these heavier issues like we just talked about, like why are there so many bad people or why do you have a mom that hates her kids or why did you have a dad that didn't have kids till he was 60 and he knew he was going to die when you were young. Yeah. So what the hell was he thinking? And I'm trying to wrap my brain around around this. And then I came up with this analogy in my head. I don't know if I stole it from someone. But I think I came up with it that, you know what, when the when the when the dude made my puzzle the puzzle of David, and it was 10,000 pieces, right? That's a lot of pieces of puzzle to put together. And I kind of got like 6,000 pieces in, and I realized, oh, shit, the box is missing a few pieces, right? So I can either stop putting it together, or I can continue to put it together and just accept the fact that, oh, well, it's going to have missing pieces. Like, sometimes the box misses some pieces. Sometimes you... There's bad people and there's no explanation for it. Just like, just let it go. I like so, it. so I, I kind of look at myself as, as a person who before would concentrate on the missing pieces. And now I concentrate on the 9,995 pieces that go together. Cause yeah. you know what? We all got missing pieces. It's just, life sucks sometimes. What are you going to do? I agree hundred percent. And, and yeah, just, just to touch on that, just that, you know, you finally, what'd you say? You made a decision in your fifties that you decided, Hey, this is, you know, it, you, you just didn't hold on to it. You just uh, yeah. worked it out yourself. And it's one thing that, you know, you can do it. Anything you want to do. I firmly believe anytime you want, it's just a matter of when you want to do it. Yeah. And it's when you want to make the change. And, you know, and David, uh, I think, you know, we're getting kind of short on time and I think we I should home right there on that. You know, I think it's yep. a beautiful way to end this. And so, uh, and I'm glad there's people out there like yourself doing this kind of work and writing books and, doing big things but if people want to find you if they want to find the cycle of lives or anything you want to plug or all sure. that stuff feel free to do it well i appreciate that chris thank you uh the book uh, the cycle of lives book it's wherever books are sold uh inside the book in the back and also my website at cycleoflives.org i list the charities that all are receiving the net proceeds from the book so whether it's sold on amazon or with an audible or directly with me sign copies whatever you know speaking events or whatever um 100 of the proceeds goes goes towards those uh organizations that were chosen right. by the book participants so that's a that's a cool thing yes, if is. you want to find out anything about me or other books or other things 
Uh, I do expressive writing workshops. I do a lot of public speaking. So they can find me on the web at, at cycleoflives.org. Cool. David, you're a badass dude, man. I appreciate yeah. you. Well, thank you. I, you're going to be a badass too. And, I, and, yeah. and after you, after you, I mean, CrossFit is not badass enough. You got to go, you got to go run long. So after yeah. you go run long, you'll be, you'll be badass. Yourself. I feel like it's going <laughs> to, it's short term right now, but I'm, I'm getting the bug. I'm drinking the juice of it, man. So I'm, I'm yeah, I, don't, I will not be drinking your juice of CrossFit, dude. That's way too hard it. for me. Yeah. That's so. way too hard for me. Well, cool, man. Well, thanks for doing this again, man. I appreciate you. So thanks, Chris. We're out of here. Bye, folks. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.